Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Thanks very much, Sue, as she comes in. I think we're finishing off our spiritual warfare series today. We are. Great. Just our series. We're not finishing off spiritual warfare. Not that you said that, just in case anyone thought that, like, oh, that's good, we're done with that now. This is actually where we start getting into it a whole lot more. And I'm really glad that we've got Marilyn and Katie here because here's two prime examples of spiritual warfare that um, for them, for their faith and for the church particularly, there's a whole lot of people have been praying for them. And just to see them both walk in here today just blesses your heart to see them here and to see that God is actually doing miracles. It's just beautiful. So bless you both. And may we all continue to grow in faith to see miracles happen because miracles are what Jesus did was as part of the spiritual battle because he, what he was doing was coming to bring the kingdom of heaven into the world and he was revealing that by looking like it was displacing the natural order but he's actually bringing in the proper natural order. That's what he's doing. And so I just want to read this quote to you from, actually, before I do, I want to pray. Father, thank you so much that you take us and you train us. And we start at all different places in our training. Some of us need a lot of exercise. And, Lord, I pray that you will build each one of us up because you see where we can end up. You see the potential in each one of us. You see the things that you have set before us before the world began to do and to conquer, to reveal your power and your glory. So, Father, for each of us, I pray today, wherever we are in our training program, may we become stronger. May we be able to look up and see you and know that you are drawing us to a glorious future. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever trained for anything, because that's what we're talking about today, training for the battle, you actually have to start somewhere. And, uh, you know, I used to do ballet. Did anyone ever do ballet here? Um, no, no one did ballet. Oh, yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether you're good or not. I tell you what, the one word I remember, I did it for 10 years, that my teacher, her most popular word was discipline. Discipline. Discipline, girls. And uh, I learned a lot of discipline. And uh, and each each little level you go through, you're training it. And when you get to going on to point shoes, did you go on to point shoes? Okay, right here. When you go on to point shoes, just let me tell you something about point shoes. If you've ever seen uh, ballerinas dancing in point shoes and it looks so effortless, it is hard. And you got to keep trying and trying and trying. And then you learn all the things about lamb's wool to wrap around all the blisters on your toes. And you've got to, but the other thing that she said all the time was smile. So you're not allowed to uh, not smile. And, but after a while, you start to get better at it. And you will all have your stories of something that you had to push through um, in order to be trained. Theo was speaking this morning. He was talking about going to the gym and he does some hit class, which is high intensive something. And he says it's like he calls it um, hell on earth for half an hour. And he said, but after it, but as he goes through it for that half an hour, he's dreaming of what he does every week afterwards. He goes to the beach and he has a latte or a flat white, I think it was a flat white. Latte doesn't sound masculine enough after the gym. He has a, he has a flat white at the beach And he looks at that all through the training to get there. Because the thing is to be trained 
if you've ever, and all of us will have stories of being trained to do something, you know, I know Sam over here is a really good painter because he's done some painters painting work in my house. And um, I've done a lot of painting, but I'm nowhere as good as Sam because no one's really trained me. Or my dad tried to. He said, you've got to prepare the wall. I said, Dad, I don't have time to prepare the wall. That's why I'm not a very good painter and you are a good painter. So everyone has to be trained to be good at something and you have to follow some master apprentice, which is what I was talking about a few weeks ago. So today I want to look a little bit more at why we're being trained to do this. And I want to start off with this quote from Tim Keller. who says, miracles lead not simply to cognitive belief but to worship, to awe and to wonder. Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress and coerce. Instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry and raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of, mirac- think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. And so you and I, as disciples of Jesus or apprentices of Jesus, are called to be people who, with Jesus, uh, bring the restoration of the natural order. And if you're here today and you're not yet, when I say apprentice of Jesus, um, we always think of disciple, but disciple is apprentice. Apprentice is someone who is learning from a master. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you have decided to become an apprentice of Jesus. So it's not just simply about believing a philosophy, it's actually becoming like the master. That's what we're called to do. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, he is inviting you to be his apprentice. And he's saying every one of us has the ability through him, not in our own strength, but in his, the power of his Holy Spirit, to be his apprentices and to become the people that we were destined to be. Every one of us on the planet was destined to be like this. We choose to be apprenticed by him. So let's read this little story from Mark 19 about this training and apprenticeship. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. Have you ever been in a conversation where people are arguing about something spiritual and you'll discover arguments don't get anywhere? When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? You're asking God, you're asking people actually, to, uh, to do something through prayer and it's just not happening. And often it ends up like this, arguing, just arguing about it or trying to um, explain it away. I was um, I did share this story actually online, but I'll, sh- I'll share it now. I didn't put the whole lot online because um, you'll understand why in a moment. Um, we had, I had a young adult connect group in my home quite a few years ago and they started talking about, we were reading something in the book of Acts about the power of God and one of them said to me, why don't we always see the power of God like that now? And there's about 20 of them in the room and so I started to give this um, feeble answer. You know how you well, you know, sometimes it's not, I can't remember what I said but it's not memorable anyway what I said. And, um, and then... I said, do you know what? Let's be real here. I don't know why we don't always see this. I don't know why. So 
let's ask God. So we all just sat there and closed our eyes and said, God, why don't we always see your power? We would love to see your power and we don't know why we always see it. So there we are and um, it's all young adults so they don't all sit on chairs, some of them lie on the floor and all the rest of it. And um, one girl was lying on the floor in front of me and I'm sitting there with my head down like this, eyes closed and I opened up my eyes and I saw her starting to move really strangely and I realised, oh, this girl actually needs deliverance. Now you might think someone who needs deliverance is someone who's obviously evil but she is a beautiful Christian girl. Um, quiet, shy, and something powerful happened that night. I said to them, well, this girl here, I won't say who she is because she's now a a mum in our church, and I said, "Um, she actually needs deliverance. And they all said, what will we do? I said, you will come and you'll do it. You'll come and do it. And um, they all gathered around and I said to one of them, I believe that the Holy Spirit is telling you the name of the spirit that needs to be cast out. And he said, no, he's not. I don't know what it is. So he just prayed. I said, you do know. So say something. And he said something and he was right. And it was a long story, went for quite a long time. And um, But it worked. And in the end, you can ask me more about it later because it's not the substance of my message. The fact is we asked God to do something and something amazingly powerful happened and everyone saw something that most of them had never seen before. And when it was over, she sat up and she just started laughing and then everyone else started laughing because before that, truly, it had been that there was a, a voice coming out of her that wasn't her voice and she's a very shy person and it was just amazing deliverance happened. And then someone who was running late for the meeting came in and said, Oh, what are you all doing? I said, you won't believe it. And and so things like this, um, you know, like there is a spiritual battle going on. That's exactly what was happening here. You might think, well, that's really freaky. I don't believe in that. Well, it's happening all through the New Testament. And someone said to me, you know, is it does that only does that only happen in countries where they people worship evil spirits? Well, guess what? In our country, we do as well. But they just got, they look more sophisticated. That's all. There's plenty of, there's a big spiritual battle going on. And we've, we need to be ones who are apprentices of Jesus who know what to do about it. Otherwise, we see people like this boy living in this dreadful way. And that's why the dad was really upset. Why can't someone do something for my child? You know, it, the, the spirit throws him violently to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. Nobody wants that for their child. So Jesus comes, verse 19, and Jesus said to them, you faithless people. Sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? You faithless people. When he's saying you faithless people, he doesn't mean you horrible people who I despise. He means this, you people who don't have much faith. It's not, it's not a derogatory comment. It's a realistic comment. You people who actually need more faith. Sometimes we get offended by that and we say, are you saying I don't have enough faith? Well, probably. Let's be really honest about ourselves. Like that's what I was doing with that um, group, those young adults that night. I said, you know what, I don't really know. I don't know. (laughs) There's a start to growth in in your spiritual development is to say I actually don't have it all. (laughs) Otherwise you'll never keep growing. If you think I know how to do this, I've got it all mapped out, um, you will stop growing. So when he said you faithless people, um, if you're offended um, by that, then um, you probably will stop growing there. But if you can be humble enough to say, maybe I could grow in faith, then you will grow in faith. 
He says, how long must I be with you? How, must, how long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a, conv- a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is, a po- is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. A humble man ready to grow. Where's your level of belief? Will you pray that prayer? I do believe, but will you help my unbelief? You've got belief to hear and then above that there's some unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. We're such an authority on everything, you know, and and honestly it's the most negative thing that could have happened out of that. He's dead. He's dead. That's it. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast, this this kind can be cast out only by prayer and in some translations it says by prayer and fasting. So there's a lot in this story and there's just three points I want to draw out of it today. The first one is this, that apprenticeship to Jesus is a lifelong journey. So as you saw, this was in Mark chapter 9. Now, if you, if you just turned back your Bible three chapters, you get to Mark chapter 6, which I spoke about a few weeks ago. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent these same disciples out by, in twos and, they, uh, and it says they, he gave them the authority and the power to cast out evil spirits and to heal people and they came back and they had done it. So three chapters before, they'd been out there, they'd been healing, they'd been casting out evil spirits. Same chapter, they go to um, a mountainside where Jesus, a hillside Jesus has been teaching for three days and you know the story, I'm sure, where Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Well, he didn't. The disciples did because it said he said to them, you do it. So that actually they'd gone out, they'd healed, they'd cast out demons, they'd come back, told him everything that had happened. They'd then been part of feeding about at least 20,000 people miraculously with five loaves and two fish. And then they come to this situation and they can't do it. Now, this is what we have to understand, that if you're being trained to do something, you will master something, but it's not the end of the story. And often we think, I've mastered this and that's the end of the story. I've got it all worked out. And Jesus then gradually leads you into something else where you have to master the next stage. Do you think Jesus knew that the disciples were there trying to pray for that boy and seeing nothing happen? Of course. He could have stepped in way before that and done it himself because there were other times when he just did it himself. Uh, But in this case, Jesus comes in a little bit after the fact because it's a training ground because he is actually training them. He's not just coming to show that he can do it. He's actually coming to train them. And wherever you are in your spiritual growth now, whatever barrier you're facing at the moment, wherever you're confused about is your training ground. And you might think, well, I don't have the answer to it. Well, neither did they. That's why they went to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we do that? And for each one of us today, there's probably some area in our life where we feel like, 
we've just hit a bit of a wall and instead of saying, well, that's it, you're sometimes we, we think that's it, there's actually a training ground where you have to work out what's not working properly here. So it's like if you walk into a room at night and you um, flick the switch to turn on the lights and the lights don't come on, you don't say to yourself, that's it, I don't believe in lights anymore. I don't even believe in the power of electricity. In fact, that's it. I'm going to buy candles from now on. That's the end of it for me. No one says that because you know that there is the power of electricity. You've seen lights all around the place and you don't think, well, maybe lights aren't for me. Maybe they're just for the neighbours and they can enjoy their light. But for us, it's candles. Candles are nice, by the way. I discovered that when the Pasha Bolka came in and we had that massive storm and we had no power for three days. Ask Graham, I've been addicted to candles ever since. Hmm. We argue about very few things in our life, but he, he thinks I'm going to burn the house down. And I said, they're in glass containers. They will not burn the house down. Anyway, it's probably one of our worst arguments. No, it's not that bad, is it, darling? <laughs> I like candles. It's the natural light. But still, I do like electric lights. And I don't give up on electricity. So if you came and you tried to turn the lights on and nothing happened, you would try to work out why. Get a new globe. If the globe doesn't work, oh, there must be something else going wrong. And you may end up having to call a master in electricity to come and solve the problem for you because it's beyond your understanding of why the light isn't working. But all the time, you never give up in the power of electricity and the ability to have a light shining in your room. But we as apprentices of Jesus often do that. The light doesn't come on and we say, well, that's it, candles for me. I don't believe in the power of light any longer or the power of electricity. I don't believe in the light globe any longer. And we throw it away. Rather than coming and saying like the disciples said to Jesus, what went wrong there? What is going wrong here? Because there's something about us that always wants to be right and always wants to know all the, have all the answers and we want to prove that to others. We don't like to humble ourselves before each other and say, actually, do you know, I don't really know the answer. And the best way to learn is to start off by saying, I don't really know the answer. It's like that night with the young adults. I've said to them, they're looking at me thinking I should know everything. I actually don't know everything. So I said to them, I actually don't know the answer. But let's ask God because he actually knows the answer. And he showed up like that when I humbled myself and said, I actually don't know the answer. So I believe there's times for all of us and we need to go to Jesus like that and say, actually, we don't know the answer. Please teach us what it is. And Jesus' answer wasn't, well, just say the words in this order because sometimes we want a very simple answer. And so, well, if you'd said it like in this order and you forgot to say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, then you would have seen the answer. No, Jesus said this comes out with prayer and fasting. In other words, you're going to have to spend a lot more time in the presence of God to grow into this one. You're going to have to, you, you're going to, have to go into some serious disciplined training. So the answers are not always quick, like the story I told you about before. Sometimes they are. And sometimes the answer is... Are you willing to give more of yourself humbly before God? Are you willing to be trained? Are you willing to sit still? Are you willing to listen to the Spirit of God? Are you willing to be challenged? Are you willing to grow? I don't know what happened to them when they went into their time of prayer and fasting, but I know that by the time the Holy Spirit fell upon them in the book of Acts, they were ready to turn the world upside down. So they took him 
seriously. So when they went to Jesus and asked him that question, they were actually taking him seriously. They weren't just saying, oh, well, we probably can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. They said, we want to be able to do this. How great is your hunger? How much do you want to be able to do in the power of Jesus? And if you want it, you're going to have to be hungry and you're going to have to really fight for it because there is a spiritual battle going on in the world and part of that spiritual battle is for your soul that you would not become as effective as God has called you to become. And sometimes you can settle for less because you think that's all you're capable of doing and Jesus is saying to you, you are capable of so much more. Don't give up on the battle. Stand firm through this. The second thing that I think God wants to speak to us about t- today, for just from this story, is that apprenticeship to Jesus means growing up into authority. So if you notice, um, this is I find this fairly challenging, that... Um, when you look through the Gospels, you gradually you watch the disciples gradually being apprenticed to become like Jesus and then you look through the book of Acts at all the miracles that were performed by the followers of Jesus. You read this, they healed them. Now, have you ever prayed for someone who was healed and come back and said, I healed them? Or have you seen someone else pray for someone to be healed and you came back and said, you know, Matt healed them? It's not part. Did you ever hear anyone say that? I think think it's part of our language. But all through the scriptures, it is. It is. It says the disciples healed many people. We don't ever use that. In fact, when they go to heal people, you don't see them saying, "Dear Lord, please come and heal this person." They actually go up, like Acts chapter three. They saw a man who was lame, and they said, "In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk," and he did. And he was healed by the Spirit of God. But what happened was this, that they grew up into the authority that had been given to them by the Spirit of God. And they knew the power that had been invested in them. So it doesn't mean that they healed him in their own power, but it was like they'd been given um, the power to use to go and heal. If you've read the Narnia Chronicles, you'll know that Lucy gets this special bottle of healing ointment, which she can use to to put on people who are sick and dying and to heal them. And, you know, you read through the book of Acts where even um, handkerchiefs were prayed for and they took them home and people were healed as a result of it. I'm not saying this to say that we do it or we should take the credit or the glory for it. What I'm saying is that we need to understand the authority that has been invested in us and often we cry out to God to do something just like the disciples were and Jesus said to them, you do it. That's what he said to them with the feeding of the 5,000, you do it. When um, they were on the boat and 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 the storm was raging and Jesus was asleep in the boat, he called them, people of little faith because he knew that they should now be able to do something about it by the power that's been invested in them. And when Jesus um, comes to the disciples and no one could cast out that demon, he called them faithless people. And that man says to says to him, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The man is, I really believe what Jesus is saying is to the, this man is that if you could grow in your faith, you could do this yourself. That's fairly challenging, isn't it? Because what he's saying is, when, it says Jesus said when the, in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And that's when they went out and they did something about it. 
I'm not saying that we take the credit for it. What I'm saying is that we've been given a power and authority by the power of the Holy Spirit that's been invested in us and we are meant to use it. We're meant to understand that the authority that comes in us is the authority that comes from the the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who died on the cross and the one who rose from the dead and beat the power of sin and death, the one who ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to to fill us with his power, with his love, with his compassion, with his mercy and to start growing in that authority that we've been given. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, so now you go and do every, teach people to do what I've taught you to do, to go and have authority over the powers of darkness in this world. And you and I are called to do this. That is really challenging. The reason that's really challenging is that I can get up and say, it's um, the Bible says, Jesus says we are to forgive. And you can say, okay, right here, I'll forgive. Jesus says you are to be kind and to give money to the poor and say, okay, I'll go and be kind and give money to the poor. Jesus says you are to take authority over evil spirits. How do I do that? You see, it's easier to open up your wallet and give something than to say I'm going to take authority over evil spirits. And so you have to humble yourself because I don't know how you do that except to grow in your faith in the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit is being invested in you. And if you're feeling at the moment like, well, this is just all too hard, that's great. That's where we have to be when we listen to that. We have to think, yes, this is too hard. This is really too hard. And so you have to surrender yourself to the Lord and see what he will do because it's something that goes beyond our cognitive ability to be able to work out. We need to grow in it. And the third thing to come from this is apprenticeships means to turn to him and to turn from something. So the best way to get through this to grow in authority is to turn from something. I find this, I've been reflecting on this a bit lately. This is what Peter said because when um, the Apostle Peter, after that story where the lame man was um, healed, um, there was a big commotion. Everyone gathered around and everyone said, what's going on here? And Peter tells them what's going on. And then he says this, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So now I just want to look at this. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Repentance is actually a turning. So it's actually turn from one thing and turn to another. And people get stuck on this. I've talked to people over the years and they say, but I'm a good person. And then we begin to explain that, We're not all good people. No one is good. We're all sinners. But there's something about turning from your sin and turning to God because even those of us who have turned to God still sin. We still do things that we shouldn't shouldn't do. So if if it's turning from one thing to another, it means that you're looking at one thing and then you're looking at another. I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes on this. Because you can think that um, you've turned from your sin because you've turned to God, but you can so easily back t- turn back to your sin and it doesn't necessarily mean in that you stole money or did something like that. So to t- it means what you're looking at. So if I've turned to God, I'm looking at Jesus all the time and if I'm not looking at Jesus, it's saying I'm looking at my sin. And so turning from your sin is more, I believe, than just stopping living a sinful life or doing sinful things, it's actually looking at at your sin 
And when you look at your sin all the time, you can be trying to be, you can be trying every day to be a very, very good person without turning to God. And then you'll find that you're looking at your sin. And this is how you know you're looking at your sin. You will be condemning of yourself or condemning of others because you're very sin-focused. So when you're sin-focused, you'll find you can be condemning of others or of yourself because you're sin-focused. You're looking at trying to um, win God's approval through trying really hard not to sin. Or you will see situations happening in your life and you'll think, well, it must be because of my sin that this isn't happening or that this is happening because you are sin-focused. And we can say that to other people. If you've read the book of Job about a man who lost everything, his friends who counselled him poorly kept telling him that it was because of his sin that all this trouble had come upon him. And they were actually wrong. So when you're sin-focused, you are turning to sin all the time. You might be doing the wrong things or you might be focusing all the time on trying to be good in your own strength and getting it right and weighing up what you deserve and what you don't deserve. And you'll even find yourself saying, why did that happen because I've done this and this and this. It's all sin-focused. Everything is less looking at sin, looking at sin, looking at sin, how good I am, how bad I am, how good someone else is, how bad someone else is. Sin-focused all the time, very draining way to live. So you can look at that. Or, and a lot of religions of the world do that. They look at sin all the time. They try very, very hard to um, offer sacrifices and do everything they can to get rid of that sin. So that is sin-focused. Or you can be God-focused. And when you are God-focused, you don't even look at yourself for, to grow and think, how, how am I going to do this because I'm so weak and hopeless because that is sin-focused. When you are God-focused, you see Jesus. You see Jesus hanging on the cross. Dying for all those things that you are focusing on. Dying for all the shame, dying for all the condemnation, dying for all the, uh, for the things that have been done to you, the sin that has been done to you, that has affected you so badly. Dying for that. Dying for all the sin of the world, whether people get it or not. Dying for all of it. And then rising from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death. Not just to defeat you sinning, but to defeat the power of sin that sin has over you. Power has, sin has a great power over all of us. Whether you're sinning or not, sin has a power over you. Whether you, you can be people be doing things to you, you can be conscious of your failings, whatever it is, sin has a power over you. And Jesus rise, rose again to defeat the power of sin and the power of death. And when we consciously turn from the sin focus every day, I believe this is not just the day that you give your life to Christ, it's, it's a daily thing. That, uh, you know, where it says his mercies are new every morning, every day you wake up and you remind yourself of his mercies. It's a day to start afresh again. And instead of looking at that, you look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And then you start to grow as a disciple. When it all seems too hard, that is the time where you stop and you say, I need Jesus. The one who rose from the dead did something I couldn't do. Defeated power of sin and death, something I couldn't do. Sent the Holy Spirit, something I can't do. All I have to do is to stand in front of him and humbly receive everything that he has given me. So let's just do that at the moment. Let's close our eyes. You might like to just put, if you'd like to, put your hands up because it's like a, a gesture of receiving from him. And look at all the reasons in your life why you couldn't grow it's a more effective apprentice, apprentice of Jesus today. What are the reasons? Because we all have them. 
What are the reasons? And you don't even have to have the answers to those reasons. You don't have to analyse it. You don't have to do much with it except give it to God. Imagine it on your hands now and you give it to him and say, these are my reasons. What will I do? And just give them to you. Why don't I see this happening in my life? Why don't I see this happening in someone else's life? Why don't I see the breakthrough? Why am I up and down in my life? I don't know, God. Just give it all to him. And then as you do, as you give it all to him, the one who defeated the power of sin and death, the one who rose Jesus from the grave, it says that he gives that same power that defeated sin and death and rose, and when Jesus rose from the grave, he fills you with it. And so just to picture that now, just picture it. Use your, the, your God-given imagination to picture his power, same power that raised Jesus from the dead, filling you now afresh. See it within you. Imagine it within you. Thank him that he's filling you right now. And ask him, what does he want you to do with it? What is he training you up to do? Because all you have to do is to obey him. You don't have to go out and save the whole world. He's done that. All you have to do is the next step that he asks you to do. It's as simple as that, just one little step. It may be to go and pray for someone, lay hands on them and pray for them. Maybe a word of encouragement for someone. Maybe just to stand firm in him. Whatever it is, just do it. Just as the um, as the team sing a beautiful worship song over us now, I encourage you just to sit and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Or if you feel like there's someone in the room he's calling you to go and pray for, go and pray for them. Just have the courage. That might be the first thing he's saying to you to do. Have the courage to stand up and go and pray for someone. Maybe he's giving you a word of encouragement for someone. You have permission to get out your phone, send it to them. Maybe he just wants you to listen to him and write down something he's telling you right now. Or maybe it's just to sit and worship him, just to set your eyes on him and ask for his peace to fill your heart. Or maybe it's something else. I don't know. The Holy Spirit will speak to each of you personally. All I ask now is that we have the courage to do what he's asking us to do. In Jesus' name. 